So, you were going to think about guidance, and um, you can see on the back of the yellow piece of paper, um, uh, outline of where we're going. We're going to, we are going to do a bit of dotting around the Bible. Normally in, in our sermons we sort of focus on one passage and we look carefully at what that's saying to us, but occasionally it's good to kind of take a step back and consider what the whole Bible in different ways says about a particular topic, and that's what we're doing this evening as we think about decision-making and hearing God's voice. So um, I'll try and signpost clearly what we're doing, what we're looking at, how it's, and uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you, do try and follow with me. Let me pray now. Father, thank you for this time to look at your word and to think particularly about this subject of guidance, and we pray that you would encourage us and uh, speak clearly to us through your word so that we might trust you for our lives ahead. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me paint three different pictures of people struggling with this question about guidance in different ways. Three people. Here's one. Super Spiritual Susan. Now, Super Spiritual Susan wakes every morning determined to live today trusting in God. Every decision will be submitted to him in prayer. It's both the big decisions and the small ones. What job should I get? Where should I live? What church should I attend? But also, well, what clothes should I wear? Which carriage should I head for on the tube? Who should I talk to in my coffee break? What should I have for lunch? Everything is bathed in prayer. And super spiritual Susan waits for signposts from God before acting. Sometimes it's kind of thoughts, sometimes it's hunches popping into her head as she prays. Sometimes it's opening the Bible kind of randomly and finding a verse that seems to speak into her situation. And she has Christian friends who look at her and think, wow, she has such a deep connection with God. I wish God spoke to me like that. Well, that is super spiritual Susan. And then there's anxious Alan. Anxious Alan also believes that God guides him, but he also worries very much that he's not very good at spotting when God is doing that. And as a result, he finds himself constantly agonising about whether decisions that he's made are right or not, and whether he's missing God's will for his life. Because what if he's not really supposed to be working for the company that he's at? What if actually God's will is really for him to be a missionary? And it's the same on the smaller scale. What if actually tonight he's not meant to be watching TV, but actually God's will was really for him to be spending time with his friends? Life is a fretful experience for anxious Alan. And then finally, there is carefree Kara. Carefree Kara is a bit suspicious of Christians who bang on about guidance. God is good she says. He wants me to be happy. And so on the whole, she does what feels good and makes sense in the moment, uh, trusting that God helps those who help themselves. Occasionally she prays about things, but you know, she, she doesn't really get the point because God's never sent any signs or writing on the wall or nudges that other people seem to talk about all the time. And, you know, really, surely God has got far more important things to think about than the details of what Kara does in her life. So there are three different perspectives on guidance. I don't know if any of those feel familiar at all. 
Wouldn't it be easier, though, if God just told us what to do? Wouldn't it be easier if he didn't leave us kind of wondering and guessing and fretting about what the right thing might be? And in particular, what what he wants us to be doing with our time and our lives. Now, last week, John uh, began our mini-series on guidance by looking at the difference between God's sovereign will and his moral will. His sovereign will is the way that he sustains and orders the whole universe and the details of our lives. That's also sometimes referred to as God's providence, that he's upholding all the details of our lives according to his will. But that sovereign will is not something that he reveals to us on the whole. Now his sovereign will is therefore also sometimes called his hidden will. The Puritan John Flavel said that God's providence or his sovereign will is like Hebrew. It's best read backwards. So Hebrew, of course, is read from right to left, like Arabic or Farsi, as Moses will confirm. But it's it's best read backwards. It's not that God is not concerned with the details of what we do in our lives. He he does care about what we do. He cares about all the little things and the big things. But we don't usually get to discover what his will is for us in advance on the specifics, on the details. Often, usually, it's when we look back that we see, oh, that is how God has been providing for me. That is how God has been leading me. What What he has revealed to us in advance is what we call his moral will. Now, if you were here last week, and I wasn't actually because I was speaking on the weekend away, but I listened to what John said online, and John talks about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul says, he uses this phrase, God's will, and he says, it is God's will for you to be sanctified, to be made holy. That's his will. What's God's will for me in my life? It is to be made more like Jesus. He's made that very clear to us. But still, doesn't actually the Bible speak of God guiding his people? Psalm 23 would be one example, and we're going to sing that later. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Um, A couple of psalms later, Psalm 25, verses 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his way. The Bible says God guides us. So... Why doesn't he make himself clearer? Well, today we're going to see that when it comes to guidance, we already have everything we need. We already have everything we need, so trust God, pray, and then do something. Okay, so we're going to see each of these things. So we we have everything we need, first of all. We saw this, this was the verses we saw at the beginning of the service. Let me read this to you again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It's on page 1222, 1222, if you want to look at it as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now sometimes the the way we think about guidance, we we, we can end up feeling like God is slightly messing with us. 
You know, he's kind of hiding. He's withholding information that would be very useful for our lives if only we could work out how to kind of extract it from him. Does that, does that feel familiar? But Peter wants us to know he's already given us everything we need. He's already given us everything for life. Verse 3. He's already given us everything we need for godliness. Now, where do we get that from then? Well, from his divine power and through our knowledge of him and his promises, he says, which gives us access, verse 4, to God's divine nature itself. What an extraordinary thing to say. Well, how then do we know God's, how do we know God and how do we know God's promises? Well, we know them through the Bible, through the scriptures. And so what Peter is saying, what he's implying is that in the Bible, we already have everything we need for God to guide us. And uh, Paul says something very similar in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says this, Paul says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God, or we might say the woman of God, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you hear what he's saying? How many good works does Scripture equip us for? You know, some, some good works? No, every good work. Uh, to what extent are we equipped by Scripture? Thoroughly equipped. Or there's uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, the, the, in the book begins, In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. God has spoken. His speaking to us is primarily a past event. And in speaking to us in Jesus, his life and work, he has given us what we need to know. We already have what we need because we have the bible which tells us about jesus do you see so what does that mean then well three things to see first of all trust in the lord flick back to proverbs chapter 3 that we heard read before on page 637 page 637 proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So there's the instruction. Trust in the Lord with all our hearts and he will make our path straight. And that sounds like, therefore, we should be waiting as we trust for him to tell us what those paths are. But actually, look back at verse 1. It is Solomon's words, it is his teaching which give his son wisdom and understanding. And it's the same back in chapter 2. If you look over the, back over the page, chapter 2, verse 1, his words are wisdom. So my words, verse 1, and then verse 2, they are wisdom, which if you, if you skip down to verse 9, these things that he's been talking about, you will understand what is right and just and fair. You will understand every good path. Again, providence is best read backwards. It's not that God has no interest in what job we do or our relationships or how we spend our time. He, he cares very deeply about these things, but it's just that it's not normal for him to tell us those things in advance. Rather, we need to trust him and act in the light of what he says, he says is sufficient for life and godliness and every good work. 
So think of super spiritual Susan that we started with. She sounds amazingly impressive with her reliance on God to guide her at each moment, waiting for internal nudges to do the next thing, big or small, and it can make the rest of us feel slightly inferior. But actually, if God has already given us everything we need, and if he asks us, therefore, to trust him, if we then say, no, 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 but, 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 but I needed to you to tell me more specifically what I ought to be doing than your general moral will that you've revealed in Scripture. Actually, that's not trusting God more. Think about it. It's actually trusting God less. It's like being in a, a stadium at a concert or a football match, and suddenly on all the big screens a message comes up. There's a fire, and everybody needs to exit the stadium calmly but quickly. And then they're saying the same thing over the tannoy. Please, would you leave the stadium calmly but quickly? Now, it's clear what needs to happen, isn't it? But then I'm standing there saying, no, I want something more specific. I'm not going to do anything until I've got a personal text message to my phone that says, you, yes, you, Tom, you need to leave. And I won't move until that text message tells me exactly which exit to use to get out of the stadium. Is that reasonable in that situation? Well, superficially, it sounds kind of extra obedience, doesn't it? Because I want to do exactly the right thing, but actually it's not obedient at all, is it? It's a failure to act on what is already loud and clear. And of course, the loud and clear message that everyone has heard doesn't say which exit you need to use, but maybe that's because it doesn't actually matter which exit you use provided that you leave the building calmly and quickly. That's what you've been told to do. Do you see the point? You see, insisting that God must guide me more specifically than what he has given me in the Bible is actually tantamount, so it can be, it can be tantamount to refusing to listen to what he's already said. Do you see? And doubting that what he says is everything we need. The point is, God's will for our lives isn't like one of those kind of real-life mazes you get at Hampton Court or Clifton. If you've been to one of those, they're fantastic, aren't they? And you're in the middle of this thing with high hedges on every side, and there's only one way out of this maze, and there's loads of dead ends. And you're kind of wandering around, and you go a bit round in circles, and you, you go down dead ends and things. Following God's will is not like that. Because actually, from our point of view, there are many possibilities that will all honour God. There are some possibilities that won't honour God, of course. Should I lie to my clients to get them to invest? No, you shouldn't. But often in life, there is more than one exit from the stadium. And you could take either of them and you will still honour God and be made more like Jesus. Now, we might say, what, what about things like Gideon? in Judges chapter 6. You know the story of Gideon? Gideon is famous for laying out his fleece. And he says, Lord, if you're going to do what you say you're going to do, when I wake up in the morning, make the fleece wet, but the ground dry. And it happens, and then the next night he decides just to make sure he's going to do it the other way around. And it happens. But the thing is, the book of Judges is not a book to look to for moral examples. The theme verse in Judges goes like this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So generally, the guys who are the kind of heroes in Judges are not doing stuff that we should be following. And actually, even in chapter 6 of Judges with Gideon, God has already clearly sent Gideon 
and told him what to do. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He says to Gideon. Verse 14 in chapter 6. And so what's going on as Gideon lays out his fleece for God is that actually Gideon is doing the precise opposite of trusting God to guide him. He is doubting him. He's putting him to the test. He's demanding more signs. And the overall message um, of, of that chapter and that bit of Judges is that it's about God's grace that he saves and he uses even faithless Gideon to save his people. Do you see? But Gideon is not there as a model of trust and faith. We don't need to kind of go around putting out fleeces or the equivalent. We already have what we need, so trust him. You don't need to obsess about the future. You can trust that God holds the future. You don't need to be like anxious Alan. But there's more then. Secondly, pray. So Ephesians chapter 1, if you flick forward to that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And that is on page uh, 1173, 1173, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. You see, in, in reacting against being super, uh, super spiritual about guidance, it's easy to go too far the other way and just say, oh, well, there's no point praying at all then. Like, which you might call being super rational, not being super spiritual, but sort of super rational, more like carefree Kara. But actually, that's not how the Bible works. Paul's prayers that we read in his letters are really helpful as we think about what it means to pray for guidance. What does Paul pray for? Have a look in verse 17. He prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the Ephesians might know God better. What should we pray for as we seek God's guidance? Pray to know God better. And that, again, is his revealed moral will for us that we thought about last week, to know Jesus better, to be more like him. So, okay, maybe you're going for a new job. Maybe you've got the interview to face and you're thinking, is this the job I need to go for? Even if they offer it to me, should I accept it? What is God's will? Well, what would Paul pray for? Not so much, show me if this is the right job, you know, give me a sign, you know, if, if, if a guy in a black suit opens the door, maybe this is the job to go for, and if it's a white suit, I won't go for it. No, no, he wouldn't pray for that. But he would pray, give me wisdom. Make me act with integrity so that I give a good account of myself. Help me to have godly motives as I weigh up whether this is the right job to go for. Make me more like Jesus through this whole process. And again, the kind of super spiritual thing to do, the super spiritual Susan would be expecting God to give answers back, whether it's a little inner voice, a nudge, a hunch, a sign. But as you go on as a Christian, you realise these things are so hard to discern, aren't they? Because my emotions go up and down, and I feel, I feel different depending on how much sleep I've had, how much food I've had, and all that kind of thing. Well, how do I know if my mind isn't kind of playing tricks on me? How do I know it isn't all coincidence? But again, you see, from a Bible point of view, praying isn't about hearing God speak to us primarily. It's, he speaks to us in his word. He has spoken to us in his word. Prayer is about us speaking to God, bringing our requests to him and seeking wisdom. 
praying in line with what he has revealed to us in his words. Lord, give me contentment in my marriage or indeed in my singleness. Make me more like Jesus in my job, wherever that takes me. Use the hard time that I'm going through at the moment to refine my faith so that I trust in Jesus more. So pray. And then finally, do something. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Just a single verse there. We haven't read this before this evening, but if you flick over a few pages, you'll find it on page 1184. Page 1184, chapter 3, verse 17 of Colossians. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is such a liberating verse because it reminds us that from our point of view, again, from our point of view, God's will isn't a dot, a bullseye that we can kind of miss, but it's a circle in which, from our point of view, there are many equally good options, and as we pray and trust God, we are free, whatever we do, to go ahead and do it in Jesus' name, giving thanks to God. There is a boundary to that circle. There are things that are clearly not God's will that Scripture makes clear to us. But sitting here today, from our point of view, there are a whole range of things you could do tomorrow which would all be within God's revealed moral will for us. Now, that's not the same as saying God isn't in charge. That's not the same as saying God doesn't know what we're going to do. You know, sometimes people have this view of God sometimes, that God, is, God doesn't know the future. No, 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 God knows the future. It actually, it's not even saying that he doesn't sovereignly cause us to do what we're going to do. No, no, this, God is in charge. He, he sovereignly uh, uh, is in charge of every moment of our lives. He knows what we're going to do and he wills for us to do it. It's just that he doesn't tell us what the thing will be in advance. And that's why from our perspective, as we make decisions every day, it's more like a circle where, well, I could do this and I could do that. And I need wisdom to tell the difference. Do you see? One of the issues we face in the 21st century is what psychologists call the tyranny of choice. See, a generation ago, there were three flavours of crisps. Ready salted, salt and vinegar, cheese and onion. That was it. Now, think about it. It's Thai sweet chilli, balsamic vinegar and caramelised onion, oriental red curry, lime and coriander chutney, vintage cheddar and onion chutney, buffalo mozzarella and herbs, chicken tikka masala, or even roast squirrel, you will find. Tesco's has got 91 different shampoos, 93 varieties of toothpaste and 115 varieties of household cleaner. And that sense of choice, like what on earth, how on earth am I supposed to make a decision between all those things, that then extends to major life decisions as well. Because, again, you know, go back a couple of hundred years maybe, what job should I do? Um, I'm sitting here thinking, what job should I do? Well, the obvious question is, what did your father do? Was he a farmer? Oh, well, you'll be a farmer as well then. What did your mother do? Oh, was she a semstress or you'll be that then? You know, there's no question there, just get on with it. And the thing is, because of the fact that so many choices have opened up to us, we then are faced with all these choices on a daily basis. We think, oh my goodness, everything depends on making the, the, the right thing. And that, the, the, the need to make decisions feels paralyzing. So it's, it's kind of helpful to remember that that is a peculiarly modern phenomenon. It comes from the advantages of the living in the world we live in, and that's great. But from a Christian point of view, we mustn't feel like 
We've got to suss out the one right thing to do and if we don't get that, we're missing God's will and it's all over. As long as it's within God's revealed moral will, as we've thought about last week, there's a sense that it it just doesn't actually matter that much which we choose. The worst thing we can do, however, is to hold back and do nothing because we don't know what to do. And that's so often how we end up instinctively responding. Trust God, pray about it, and then give something a go. Push the door. He's in charge. We can trust him. We don't need to fret. And then we can learn to be content with the circumstances God has put us in today, and we can trust him for tomorrow. That is God's will for us. That's his guidance. Now, next week, we're going to have a final look at guidance. We're going to look a little bit further. You know, as we make those decisions, as we think about the big circle, there are still helpful questions we can ask as we make decisions. So we can, we can, there are things we can think about our priorities. What should my priorities be as I make decisions? And we're going to think a little bit more about that next week so that we can line up our priorities with God's priorities as we make decisions. We can exercise wisdom with his wisdom, not, not, not kind of worldly wisdom, as we make decisions, prayerfully trusting in him. So there's more we can say. But for now, let's see the fruitlessness of being like super spiritual Susan or anxious Alan or, or, or carefree carer. Let's see the freedom that comes from already having everything we need in God's word, and so we can trust God, pray, and do something for his glory. Let me pray now. Father, thank you for this time to explore this subject together and we pray that you would continue to help us with these things. And maybe as we reflect on big decisions that we need to make or just daily choices, thank you that we can put our trust in you, knowing that you've already given us everything we need. Thank you that we can pray about these things and then we can do something for your glory. Please help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.